So we are uh, continuing the series upon this rock. We're going to continue to follow uh, Peter right, through these, these experiences with Jesus, especially through this last week of his life. And, and as we're doing that, as we're walking through this, we're going to conclude this series um, on Easter Sunday, Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday next week, and we're going to wrap this one up. And uh, as we look at that, though, we are going to walk in through um, each of the events, right, of Holy Week. And this, this is the start of Holy Week this week. And again, this Sunday is known as Palm Sunday. And, and this Palm Sunday, again, is this, uh, again, the, the title, the reputation, right, uh, of this Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. This kind of kicks off the, the final week of Jesus' life. When you look at the Gospels, they all kind of culminate into um, this these last seven days. Okay, and as we look at that, again, on your outline, you can see as we look at the triumphal entry, okay, this is the event that kicks off Holy Week. And um, this is literally, and it's exactly what it's, what it's called. I mean, the triumphal entry is, it's Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Okay, and he enters triumphantly. And you see there, there's the, the, the gospel references of where you can read the different accounts, right, of the triumphal entry. Okay, this is where Jesus, um, again, arrived, they arrive at Bethany, right, which is kind of, on the, and then he, get, he ends up at the top of the Mount of Olives. Okay, and then he sends his disciples, he gets a donkey, right, and, and they, he rides on a donkey. People, you know, palm branches, they put their, their coats on the road, and, and he descends down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley and up the other side through the gate into the temple area. And I say, is, again, as I've shared with you before, I had the incredible privilege of going to the Holy Land, right? I stood on the top of the Mount of Olives. We walked down the triumphal entry route, right? And, and across the, this valley, and you could look up and see the gate where Jesus entered the temple area. And, and this, the thing, again, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning, but again, I just want to say this is what, remember, this is what makes Palm Sunday, Okay, we're not spending a lot of time in it because there, Peter does not have a specific role in the triumphal entry. Right? If you, I, I encourage you to read the text again to see this because there are several significant prophecies that are fulfilled with this event. Several. Right? In fact, one of the, the awesome things I read through this, one of the things that you see, there's again, every gospel accounts it. Okay, John chapter 12 is where we see this. And you know, there's this awesome thing in John 12 where it says that, like, again, it's kind of saying, like, why did we do this? And it's like, well, you know what? If, if these people didn't do this, the rocks would cry out to worship him. Right? Like, that's just a very, very cool concept, right, to think about. Hey, as you think about that, again, the power of triumphal entry and Palm Sunday, like I said, I encourage you. Um, to, to read, read the four accounts of, of Palm Sunday okay, in the Gospels. Okay, if, if you don't have your own Bible, look them up, then just ask for one, we'll give you one. Okay, and, and, and read it. Okay, as we, but as we look at that, right, but this is Palm Sunday, it's a triumphal entry. Several significant things happen throughout that just one event. Okay, but now we're going to fast forward a few days, right, through... Uh, again, this, and you read those accounts, all the different things, clearing the temple and teachings and, and just all these different things that Jesus, you know, teaches to his disciples. And I think as we look at the last week of Jesus' life, we, we know, because he knows this is the last week of his life, right? I mean, Jesus knows that. And he starts to really be, be very clear with the disciples and starts to, to lay it out very clearly to them. They're like, and again, and, and they don't get it, right? They're not really understanding. It's for them, again, even as we see, as we get to Thursday and to Friday, right, this feels like a curveball to them. Right? When Jesus has been, again, we can look back at it and be like, why didn't they see it? Like, Jesus cleared us that, right? But again, we, we can always, there's so many things in our own lives, right, that we're like, man, why didn't I see that? 
right? We, we can identify with the disciples in that. Okay, but we're going to fast forward to Thursday, okay, to the Passover meal, which is also again, commonly known as the Last Supper, because it was literally Jesus' last meal. Right? That's why it's called the Last Supper. Okay? But, but it wasn't just, it wasn't special because of, it was Jesus' last meal. I mean, it was, but, but again, they didn't even know that, right? The disciples didn't understand. It was special because this was a Passover meal. Okay? And that's why they gathered together to do this. And this, there's a very specific, uh, again, meal that goes through. I mean, you could go back into the Old Testament and this, this, this holiday, this Jewish holiday about the Passover, and about, which goes all the way back to Moses, right? And the Israelites, and then leaving Egypt. And again, this is the commemoration of that, right? And at the core of the Passover meal is the sacrificial lamb. And this lamb, again, there's, there's, there's incredible symbolism here of this sacrificial lamb. And as we look at this, this savor meal and about why they were doing this, because they were supposed to remember, you remember back in the plagues of Egypt, if you don't remember, again, go back in, in Exodus and read it and encourage you, but there's, there, literally, they were told by God to sacrifice the lamb, right, and, and to, to have this dinner, and, and these households came together, and they were, there's all these rituals they went through, but they sacrificed the lamb, and the blood of the lamb was put over the doorposts of their houses, and, and that blood commemorated, right, that there's the spirit to pass over those homes. And they were protected, right, from this final plague. And the final plague was the sacrifice of their oldest sons. And again, it was the blood of the lamb that saved them. Right? And all the Egyptians lost their oldest sons that night. That was the final plague, and yet none of the Israelites did. Okay, now again, we, as now looking at this side of the cross in 2022, we look back at that and the, the, the symbolism is obvious, isn't it? And, but yet, when you see that, um, again, this was what the Passover was about. It was them remembering that, right? And in fact, there's, again, several significant things happen at this specific dinner, at this Last Supper. Okay, this is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. We're going to dive deeper into that right, on Thursday. This is where Judas is identified. This is where Peter's denial is predicted. This is where Jesus uh, does the first communion, and, and, which, again, fully explains what's about to happen in a very symbolic way as Jesus takes the place as the Passover lamb in the new covenant of grace. Right? The, the, the Passover lamb was at the core of the first covenant, right? And that they commemorated it, and now this, again, is, is where Jesus steps into place of the sacrificial lamb. Right? And when we think of the Last Supper, I just want to put, throw this picture in front of us. Okay? And we think about the Last Supper and think about the sacrificial lamb. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, this, um, this is a pretty famous classic painting. Okay? The title of this painting is Agnes Day. It's a painting by, by Francisco de Zubiron. And again, Agnes Day is Latin for Lamb of God. And as we look at it again, this, this, is a, this is an image of our Savior. This is an image of a lamb that is bound for slaughter. And, and as, as we look at this image, right, of, of this, this is what should be in our, in our mind, right, of when we think about the Last Supper and even every time we take communion. And as you think of that, right, that, um, again, this is, at this Last Supper is where Jesus institutes this, this sacrament. 
Right? And we know that's at the core of his sacrament, right? What does Jesus say? He says, do this in remembrance of me. Right? Every time we eat the bread and, and drink the cup, right? We are to, we should have this in our head. Right? The Christ is our sacrificial lamb. It is by the blood of the lamb that we are saved. And, and when we see this image, right? But yet, this, again, is, is in our mind. I think we, we bring that at the forefront of, of, of the weight of the Last Supper and of communion and those things. And yet, when, when, when typically when we think of Last Supper, we don't have this image in our mind. We, we, we have, you know, this image in our mind. Right now, again, this is a, also a very famous classic painting, right, by Leonardo da Vinci. Okay, this painting is titled The Last Supper. And again, now there's nothing wrong with having this in our mind. I think, it, but we can't lose the weight, right, of of what was really happening at the Last Supper and everything that Jesus did there. But again, we look at this, and again, we don't want to make light of it. But like, there's you know lots of things. I I, I don't know. I I look at this picture and I wonder. I'm like, so that's why they needed a table of twenty six, right? Because they all wanted to sit on the same side. <laughs> Right, but again, I mean, we can, we can joke, we can think, you know, those kind of things, but, but yet, it, when we think about just the Last Supper, I mean, this is where we are, right? And this is a very significant time, right? This was, this was a, 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 everything culminates in the Gospels and Jesus' earthly life, right, into this supper, and then literally he leaves from this meal, and he goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's where he's arrested, Right, literally hours after they break up this, this meal, Jesus is hanging on a cross. Yeah, and as, as we think about that, again, as we enter into this Holy Week, I just want to you know, say, like, this, this is what we're commemorating. This is what we're remembering. This is what we're celebrating. Right, of Jesus stepping in our place, taking our punishment, right, our, our sin on his shoulders and so that we can be set so that we can be saved, so that, we, that, that, that chasm between us and our God can be bridged, right? And our relationship can be restored. So we're going we're gonna to look into the text uh, to this morning, John 13, which is where we find the Last Supper. So if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open with me to John chapter 13. And again, this is the same text we're going to look at on Thursday our Monday Thursday service, we're going to look at it a little differently then, but we're going to dive into John 13. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me, with us online if you have your Bible as well. If you have one of our, use one of the, the Bibles in the seats that's provided for you, you see the page number there where you can find it. We're going to start with verses 4 through 11. So John 13, picking up at verse 4. And it says, So he got up from the table, he being Jesus, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, you are, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for his feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. 
For Jesus knew who would betray him, and that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. So I want to just pause there in this story we see as as Jesus kind of sets the the stage, right, for the washing of their feet and and, you know, as he goes around, he's washing the disciples' feet. We see that, again, he gets to Peter. And, and like I said, last week we looked at kind of Peter's personality. He's loud and boisterous, and he just kind of says what he's thinking and, and kind of comes, you know, deals with the ramifications, right, as he oftentimes, we see he jumps in and opens his mouth and inserts his foot. And, again, this is one of those moments, right, where we see that. He kind of blurts out what he's thinking, and Jesus is like, hold on, Peter, you have no idea what you're saying. Like, in fact, Peter, you're way off base, And we see again how Jesus corrects Peter. And we see that in verses 8 and verses 10, right? As he replies to Peter, where Jesus tells him, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Right? And then we see, again, Peter kind of corrects himself, right? And the pendulum in his own heart swings clear to the other end, right? He's like, well, in that case, wash all of me. Right? If I'm really that wrong, then I'll go clear to the other side, right? And, and he does that, but then Jesus, again, explains, corrects him again, right? In, in verse 10, he says, But a person who's bathed all over does not need to wash, except for the feet, to be entirely clean. Now, I bring up these because these kind of responses by Jesus, these even reprimands of Peter, right? Of, of as he's telling him, he's like, Peter, you don't get it, right? There's, in fact, that's exactly what Jesus tells him, isn't it? He's like, you don't understand this now. You will, right? But, so let me explain it to you. They say that you are entirely clean. And, and again, there's some, some really important theological truths in Jesus' reprimands of Peter here. Again, the, we, we recognize that washing of feet was a regular part of their culture. Right? Because they were in a, in a dirty environment with lots of animals around, and we know what is behind animals. Right? And, and they're walking, right? Their feet get dirty. I mean, just naturally going through just natural life, their feet get dirty. And so the custom, again, is when you enter into someone's home, right, you, you clean off all that filth. Right? And as they came into that, right, this is a, a job that is typically done from the lowest servants. This is like the bottom rung, right? This is like the job that nobody wants because guess what? It's gross. Right? One, just feet in general. I know we all kind of have this weird thing about feet, right? Like just, it, that's just kind of weird. And then, and then you put on all the dirt and the manure and the, the everything. On the, like it, it's nasty. And nobody wants to do that job. Okay, which I think is exactly why Jesus does it. I mean, this is why he does this job, right? Is because it's the lowest job that nobody wants. Right? And yet he goes around and he, and he washes them. And, and you know, so Jesus, again, is it's exactly what Scripture tells us the Messiah does, right? He takes himself off the throne and he, puts him, he enters into our mess. Right? And, and, and he does that and he washes their feet. And, but yet he tells you, right? He says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Right? Again, he's saying you have to be cleansed from the filth of your own sinful nature and of, of the guilt and the shame and the separation and, and all of the ramifications and ripples that come of your sinfulness and your broken heart and your hard heart and all those things, right? that it has made you filthy. Right? And that's what separates us from a holy God. Right? So he says, you cannot be mine unless I wash you. Again, he's saying he's literally defining salvation for us here, right? Your sin separates you from a holy God. 
Right? And you cannot be mine unless you're washed and forgiven and made clean. Okay? And that happens through salvation. Right? Through praying and accepting Christ as our Savior, inviting him into our life, receiving his love and his forgiveness, right? confessing our own sin. Not just confessing it, but then repenting it. And that's what about joining the journey of faith is, right? Not, it's about confessing it, but then we start moving in a new direction. And that's, that's the difference between confession and repentance. Right? Confession is just like, God, I did it. Forgive me. Right? Repentance is now help me to never do it again. Right? Help me to be more holy tomorrow right, than I am today. Okay, so again, we're washed all over, right? We're made clean. When we receive Christ our Savior, we're washed completely by the blood of the sacrificial lamb, and we are made clean. We are bathed all over. Okay, but, right, he says, later he says, and a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash. Right? If you are saved, you are, have been washed clean. You don't need to wash. Praise God. Right, he says, except for his feet. Well, what does that mean? Guess what? Because a part of the journey, right, when we go through, is like we still struggle with our own sin. Right? Our feet still get dirty. Right? There's still a lot of nastiness in our world and around us, and we have to walk through it. Right? And that's, again, as he washes our feet, it's symbolic right, of us continuing that confessional lifestyle right, as we move forward in our faith and saying that, God, I need you to wash my feet because... Guess what? I still struggle. Even though I'm saved, I still struggle with sin. And I want to be, for me to be holier, you need to wash my feet, God, so I can take that next step forward. Right? And he, again, he's saying you don't have to be washed all over. You've already been saved, right? But, but yet there's still some filth in your life that I got to wash away. Right? So, so have your feet washed. Right? Continue. And that's an ongoing thing, isn't it? Right? That's a part of our spiritual journey. That's how we continue to grow, right? We realize what's, what's the filth that's in our heart and our lives that's on our feet that needs to be washed away, right? And say, okay, I'm going to avoid that, that manure next time. Right? It, we, just, we see that. And again, we learn out of this situation, out of these reprimands of, of Peter, right, by Jesus, we learn that after we join the journey, after we receive Christ as our Savior, that we need to live in confidence about our eternity. You have been washed clean. But we also have to have an attitude of repentance day to day. Right? Of knowing that there's filth that's still going to creep its way into my life. Right? And, and I need to let Jesus continue to wash that away. Right? I, I, have, I have a confidence about eternity that I've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Right? But I also have an attitude of repentance. Right? And that, that's a, a, a part of my daily journey with Christ. And as, as we see that, right, we learn that, and, and we know, right, that, that just because we're saved, not everything is perfect, right? We still need our feet washed, right? We're still going to mess it up. Yeah, our flesh is still going to get in the way, right? But yet, again, the repentance is about doing better, right? About, okay, I recognize, you know, that filth, and I'm not going to let that filth back in my life. Right? I'm going to move forward in my journey with Christ. I'm going to be more like Christ, right, tomorrow than I am today. Hey, we see this, again, it's this concept even in the Old Testament. I mean, later through the prophets in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. It says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. 
And I will put the Spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Again, this passage, right? This one, this is written. This is a foreshadow of the gospel of what Christ is going to do in our lives. Right? He will take out our stony, hard, cold heart and he will replace it with a heart of flesh. Right, one that is submitted to him and one that is, is going to walk with him right, and grow. And again, and saying right, that, that and he will give us his spirit right, so that we will follow him. Right? And we will continue to learn more about who God is and about who I am and we'll move forward. Right? That, that, that as we, again, when we pray for a soft heart, I mean, this, this is what this describes. Right? It's, a soft heart is one that is fully surrendered to Christ and to his spirit and to listening to this to the shepherd's voice, right? And we follow that voice, right? And yet we know that when, if our heart isn't that way, right, that we, we get stubborn, right? It gets hard. And we don't want to listen. We don't want to hear what God has to say, right? And that's an easy trap to fall into. Now, as we look at that and we see these reprimands of Peter, and then I, I want to jump down into a little later in John 13, um, where where. Peter has this next interaction with Jesus at the Last Supper. Okay, John 13, we're going to pick up at verse 31. It says, as soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for this Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will soon give glory to the Son. So dear children, I will be with you a little longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. Well, why can't I come now, Lord? He asked. I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Right, that's kind of one of those moments, right? We sit down and you're just like, ouch. But like, this is when we can identify with Peter. It's like, man, that's got to sting. Right, because again, Peter is 100% genuine here, right? I mean, he says, God, I will do anything for you. Right, Jesus, I'm with you, right? Wherever you're going, I'm going too. And Jesus is like, not so fast, Peter. There's not, you're not ready for and we see this, again, this, now this, this reprimand of Peter at the Last Supper, right? This, this, this next one, I mean, stings, right? Because we've all, we can identify with that, can't we? We've all been there, right? It's like, like, God, I will do anything for you, right? Like, I'm just here. I'm like, God, I'll be, God, let's do it, right? And God's like, eh, not sure your heart's ready. Right? And it stings, and yet, Jesus tells Peter the truth, right? Again, we see in verse 36, I mean, Simon Peter asked him, he says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. Again, because we know where he's going, right? I mean, his destination through all of this, right, is at the right hand of the Father, sitting with him in heaven. Right? And he's saying, Peter, you will follow me, right? You'll, you'll end up there, but, but boy, you got some journey to do first, buddy. You, there's, there's still a lot of journeying to do for you before you get to come. 
Right? And the reality is there was a lot more for Peter to do right before he could go to heaven. And, and, and again, we learn, we know that, right? That we have a lot to accomplish on earth as followers of Jesus. Okay, Peter had a lot he had to do, right? We go back to this, this anointing, right? Of the, the, I, he, God, God's going to build his church upon Peter, right? On, upon this rock. And, and he's like, hey, there's, there's a lot of work to do, Peter, before you're ready to come with me. Hey, there's a lot you've got to accomplish. And the same is true for us. Right? We have that moment where we join the journey of faith and we, we receive Christ into our life and we are washed clean all over. Right? And, and at that moment right, is, is where, again, that we, we join that journey and, and we think right, the end of that journey is with God in heaven. Right? But there's a lot of you journeying in between. Right? God, again, God has expectations for what happens in your life between these two significant bookends of your life, right? From when you receive Christ as your Savior and when you stand face to face with him and enter heaven. But guess what? God has a, a lot that he needs you to accomplish between those two. Right? And when we look at that, right, we, we know, um, again, that Peter accomplished a lot for God right, before he was ready to go with Jesus to heaven. Again, we see in 2 Peter 1, 14, 15, this is a letter that Peter wrote Right? He says, for our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. Right? Again, he, he finally gets there. Right? He gets to that place where he's like, hey, my earthly journey is almost done. God's, God's shown me that. Right? I can see it. It's winding down. Hey, but man, there's so much you just have to remember. Right, there's so much that I learned. There's so much that, that happened here. There's, there's so much, again, that passed the baton. Again, Jesus passes the baton on to Peter and to the apostles. Right? And then and all of them, when they got to the end of their earthly life, they passed it on then to all of us. Right? It's God's church. Peter knew his earthly life was nearing its end. And you, you can sense the attitude in this sentence. Right? That I will use every last breath to make sure I have done everything God needs me to do before I leave this earth. Right? And we should carry that same attitude. Every moment, every breath, right, is I will do everything God needs me to do. I'm leaving nothing on the table. I'm laying it out there. I'm leaving it on the field. Right? I'm holding nothing back. And then we see as we continue on, right, again, they, they kind of say, I want to jump over to, to Luke 22. Okay, so flip again back. Um, a gospel, right, get into Luke chapter 22. Okay, we see again in this account, I want to read 31 through 38. Again, this is where the same kind of conversation, again, Luke's version of the same conversation with P between Peter and Jesus. Okay, Luke 22, verse 31. It says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you, even to die with you. And Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now he said, take your money and a traveler's bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. 
Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. And that's enough, he said. Now, as you look at this interaction between Jesus and Peter, okay, this is, again, it is his, his prediction of him being denying him. But, then, but notice, there's a few other details that Luke points out here, right, that John left out. Okay, one is, is, is he talks about a sword, right, and he tells them to bring a sword. Okay, and then they say, well, we have a couple swords, right? And again, there's, I'll tell you, that, that's just a rabbit hole. We don't have time to go down this morning. Okay, but I will tell you is that we will, we will go down that rabbit hole about the sword in sermon follow-up discussion groups this week. Okay, so we're, we're going to go down that, but we can't do it now. Okay, the, the other significant thing about this passage that Luke brings out is this whole concept about him being sifted like wheat, Okay, now this is, this is a very significant concept, and this is a very significant verse, right, in these situations where it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I pleaded in prayer for you that your faith will not fail. So when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. This should be a verse that's on the wall in our house. Okay, reality, right? I mean, we have all kinds of verses that we put up all the places, this because this is a concept that, that we cannot lose. Okay, when you think about this, right, what is sifting wheat? Okay, sifting wheat is being crushed and refined and prepared to fulfill a bigger purpose. Okay, wheat, again, when it comes in its raw form, right, it, it's, it can't be used as flour, right? It can be, I mean, there's only, there's just certain things you can do with wheat until it's sifted, until it's crushed and refined and prepared for the next purpose, right? Yeah, and again, that, that, that wheat has to be crushed in order for it to be used, right, to fulfill its purpose. And Jesus is telling Peter, and he's telling, not just Peter, right? He says he's going to sift each of you. And, and, and he's telling him, he's like, Peter, you're about to go through it, buddy. Right? You're about to be broken. You're about to be crushed. You're about to be refined. Again, Jesus knows, right, that the next several hours is not going to be pleasant for him, but he's telling Peter, buddy, you, you are going with me. Right? Because these next hours of your life are not going to be pleasant either. You're going to be sifted. But notice what Jesus tells him, right? He says, again, that your faith needs to continue to be tested and refined to prepare you for what's ahead. He's looking at Peter and saying, bud, because your character's not ready. You're close, <laughs> right? This is like the final phase, Peter, but, but you got to get through it. You're going to be sifted. Yeah, but, but notice, right, what does Jesus tell him? He says, and, and Peter, I, I, I'm banking on everything that your faith will not fail. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus tells him, isn't it? Your faith can't fail, Peter. You've got to get through this. I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail. And yet we see, again, Jesus gives, literally gives Peter and gives all of us, when we are sifted, right, and prepared and crushed and rebuilt, right, and, and redefined, right, to fulfill our God-given purpose, right, Jesus gives us the key to make sure that our faith will not fail. 
Okay, and he, he's, he brings out three things, right, Jesus tells him. Right, the first thing, the first key to our faith not failing is prayer. Right, he tells Peter, Peter, I'm, I'm praying for you, buddy. I'm praying for you. And guess what, right? You know, after this, Jesus goes and he prays, right? He prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And guess what he prays in that garden, right? I mean, there's, I could read John 17. It's incredibly powerful, right? But he prays for all of us. And, and we get first step, right, to our key not failing is prayer. Prayer is so powerful. And Jesus says he's come to Peter's defense through prayer. Pray. Your key number two to our faith not failing is repentance. And he tells Peter, Peter, you're going to mess it up, buddy. In fact, you're going to deny me three times. You don't even know me. Right before the rooster crows, right? He gave him a timeline, right? He's like, dude, you're failing in these next few hours. He gives him a timeline, but he tells him to repent of it. Again, circle the word repented, right? When you have repented, because like I said, there's a big difference between confession and repentance. It, it, that word, right? Was, we, we repent. Fa- failure in a situation does not dictate the failure of our faith. Let me say that again. Failure in a situation doesn't dictate failure of your faith. Repentance is the key to your faith, not perfection. Repentance is the key to your faith, not failing, not perfection. Jesus knew Peter was going to fail, but he said, but you just, just repent, right, and move on. Get through it. Repentance is the key to your faith not failing, not, not perfection. And then he says, now, then he says, once you have repented, right, then he tells him to strengthen your brothers. Right, Peter, once you make it through, then you go and you, you dive into everybody else who's failing. Right, you, you, get, you get through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Don't stay there, you get through it. Okay, when you get through it, then you help those that are there. Right, and, and again, that's step three, is to use your experience for God's glory. After you repent, then you use your experience to help somebody else who's stuck in the same place. So, so as you think about these, we see these keys, right, that, that Jesus gives Peter, that gives all of us about, because we are all going to fall short. Right, we've all read that verse, right? We all fall short of the glory of God. All right, we all fall short, but, but yet the key to our faith not failing is prayer, repentance, and then using our experience for God's glory. So why would God allow this? Why would God put Peter through this? Why would God put any of us through sifting? Right, why, why, why does he allow it? Because the reality is God can do anything he wants to do. Right? And we have that question all the time, don't we? About like, what, God, why would you allow this? Right? It's just it's so easy if you just fix it, and it would be. Right? Why does God allow it? Right? Because God knows okay, that we learn more from failure than we do from victory. God knows that we learn more from failure than we do from victory. This is a concept that we see happen in our world over and over and over again. We know this to be true, that we learn more through failure than we do through victory. Okay, just, as you think about this concept, I'll just, we're going to play a little game. Okay, I'm going to just ask you so, or give a statement about a, a kind of a famous person in our culture and see if you know who it is. Okay, number one, he was rejected from the USA Film School three different times. You know who that is? Steven Spielberg. 
After his first performance as a musician, he was told, you ain't going nowhere, son. You ought to go back to driving a truck. Elvis Presley. That he was turned down by 27 different publishers and told he was a terrible author. Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss. <laughs> his fiance died. He failed in business. He suffered a number of nervous breakdowns and was defeated in eight different elections. Abraham Lincoln. He was fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no original ideas. Walt Disney. And after being cut from his high school basketball team, he went home, locked himself in his room, and cried. Michael Jordan. Jordan. Which is the GOAT, by the way. I'll just officially say that. We learn more through failure than we do from victory. This is a a concept we see play out in our world all the time. And yet, why wouldn't this concept apply to our faith? It does. Again, it's easy to hear these stories and nod our head in agreement, and yet our own perspective never changes about our own failures. Right? We think as soon as we fail that we're done. I mean, I'll say another one we could put out, but just as Thomas Edison is famously quoted after being asked how it felt to have 10,000 failed prototypes of the light bulb, and you know what his response was? I have not failed. I found 10,000 ways that won't work. Right? He only needed one that worked, right? And he found it. And he knew 10,000 ways it didn't work. Right? And, and that's an incredible perspective. Right? And I just encourage you, when you even look at your own faith journey, is take that same perspective. I mean, that's the perspective that Jesus was telling Peter to take. But you're going to fail. But don't lose heart. Because I'm not going to fail. Right? That's exactly what Jesus tells him. And it's exactly what Jesus tells us. Right? In John 16, 33, Jesus says, I told you all of this so you may have peace in me. Because here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. We will fail. Jesus didn't. Right? And we learn more through failure than we ever do through victory. And again, we take that, take this attitude, right? This is exactly what Jesus tells us to do, right? When you fail, come to me. Because I've overcome the world. Right? And he still has, by the way. Right? This world that we look at, right? We open the headlines and the world news and all this stuff, right? I mean, we, I, mean I don't know about you, but I sometimes have that question. Be like, Lord, where are you? Because this world is terrible shape. He's overcome the world. Praise God. He's overcome the world. Every time I fail, it reminds me how much I need God. And it reminds me that God's already won. And so here's our final thought today, and that is this. Right? Failure is an important part of the faith journey. It's how we respond to it that will determine if, whether it's a growth step or a hindrance to your life. How are you going to respond to failure? Because we all fall short of God's glory. When you fail, make sure you fail forward. 
right? Make failure, make doubt a growth step, not, not a retreat. Because okay, if you have a doubt about who you are, guess what? God is truth. He has nothing to hide. God is not afraid of your questions. He is not afraid of your doubt. Okay? And in fact, when you have that doubt, then you dive in and you find the truth and that moves you forward. Make fail. When you, when you fail, and we all fail, when you fail, fail forward. Okay, I, again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today. Maybe you, you've never received Christ as your personal Savior. And if you haven't, then you can today, you can pray and accept Christ as your Savior and you can join the journey of faith. Okay, and let God take over where you failed. Okay, if, if you have received Christ, are you moving forward in your faith? Right, as we enter into this Holy Week, will we rise to the challenge right, that Jesus presents, not just to Peter, but to all of us? Move forward. Okay, wherever you're at today, I hope you'll move forward. God, we thank you, God, that you are on your throne, that you win, that you conquered death, and you conquered sin. And God, as we enter into this Holy Week, Lord, as we celebrate that, Lord, I pray that you would help us, God, to receive your grace and your love. God, help us to represent you well in this chaotic world. And God, help us wherever we're at in our faith journey, God, to move forward. God, we praise you. We worship you today. We thank you, God, that you win, that you've overcome the world. And God, help us as we go, as we live out our faith every day. God, to just always live into that fact and that truth. Even when we fail, even when we fall short, God, thank you for picking us up, for washing our feet. God, for propelling us forward on your mission. Lord, we pray for your mission this week. God, as we live out our faith, as we are your church, God, that the, the world would see who you are by how we love each other and how we bring them into the throne room of grace. Guide us as we go, as we live our faith every day, even when we fail. It just means we live our faith even more. Guide us as we go this week, this holy week. In Jesus' name we pray.